Thank you for listening in to this week's sermon from Restoration Church Bryan. To learn more about Restoration, you can find us online at restorationbryan.com. We are so grateful for all those who are able to listen online, and we pray the message encourages you and challenges you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you are not already connected to a local church, we would love to invite you to join us for worship. If you are listening from another city, we pray that this message is a great supplement to your walk with Christ, and our hope is that you would have a gospel-centered local church that you call home. Thanks again for listening. Amen. Well, if you got your Bibles, uh, hopefully you're there. Acts, Acts chapter 4. Um, I uh, am a mixed bag uh, when, when it comes to my responses uh, to critical moments in life, okay? Uh, this morning, we're going to look at a passage. We're going we're gonna to look at the, the response of, of Peter and John. Uh, but but I, I, I'm kind of a mixed bag when it comes to response. I, I, I'm, I'm usually pretty cool, calm, and collected during conflict. Um, Steph and I, you know, we've had our fair share of, of life curveballs that have elicited sort of every response from like uh, anxiety uh, and panic to, to doubt to anger uh, and, and one of the areas where like I'm continually growing in, in my response is, is when my, uh, when my children get injured, uh, Steph's, Steph's super cool when this goes down, true story. Uh, and we've, we've, we've had broken legs. Uh, we have had concussion scares. Uh, I, I don't do well with head trauma. Uh, and by head trauma, I mean like just a bloody nose. Okay. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Ruthie, a little, by, a, a little while back, we transitioned Ruthie to her big girl bed, right? Uh, however, we have since put up bumpers. Uh, but when we first transitioned uh, our two-year-old to her big girl bed, uh, we would be sound asleep like at midnight, and there is nothing more jarring than hearing your two-year-old in, at like one o'clock in the morning, you, you just hear this as she falls on the ground and and of course like multiple nights I run in and like panicked like ninja stealthy mode uh, but panicked thinking that my my daughter uh, is is like mortally injured only to find out that she's sound asleep on the floor apparently her body is made of some sort of rubberized material um, so so not always the best response right uh, I, I've, I've shared this before, uh, my, like, but I, my response to sickness, like I, you know, and, and like when, when my body is hurt, like my, my wife has had five children, right? And, and like, I, uh, I've shared this, but like, I get a, I get a head cold and I'm like, Lord, <laughs> like I'm confessing sin. I'm making promises to God. Um, it's bad. So, Church, here, here's, here's what I want to tell you this morning. Our, our responses tell us a lot about our thinking and our hearts. Amen? Our, our responses speak volumes. Christian, your, your responses reveal a lot about your values and priority. Uh, Christian, your, your response to adversity uh, really uh, reveals whether you are truly God-focused Right, whether you are truly gospel centered or whether you're me focused and and self centered, 
And so in, in, in Acts 4, for the, really the first time, uh, we see the early church's response to persecution. And, and just to sort of recap Acts 3 and 4, you've got this man in Acts 3 who, who was born lame. Uh, Peter and, and, and John uh, roll up on the scene. Peter speaks over him. He's miraculously healed. Then in Acts 4, the, the religious authorities, the Jewish leaders, did not, they, they, they weren't real crazy, not just because a man was healed, but because we, we, we've talked about this in weeks past. Peter, uh, he ultimately used the opportunity, he used the miracle as an opportunity to share and proclaim Jesus Christ. In salvation in, in Christ alone uh, through his death and resurrection. And so, so they, they throw, they, they, they lock them up in jail, apparently along with, uh, with this guy. And, and so up to this point, listen, um, the, 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 they could have folded up, right? Peter and John could have folded up. They could have sort of hedged their, their losses. They could have gone in, in, into retreat mode. They could have made it about them. They could have started a campaign about this, what, what they had experienced. But, but they, they didn't. And in church, we can learn from their response. Amen? And we can learn from their response. And, and here's, here's a question. Maybe a few questions. Are you... Are you completely satisfied with your response to trial? What about to pain or, or adversity? Or, or, or maybe things just not going your way, right? Maybe, maybe just things not, not going your way. Uh, how, how about this? How do you respond when it's costly to follow Jesus? Like maybe, like maybe Christian, maybe your, sanctifica- your sanctification process is, is complete, right? Like maybe you're here this morning and sanctification, like you've, you've actually checked that box. But for, for the rest of us sinners, like I think there's a lot that we can take away from from Peter and John's response, and so th- this is it, is going to be a little bit of, of a message of of, of contrasts, okay? Uh, but the first thing I want to look at as we look at verses twenty three and twenty four is this: we we see we see uh, the response of Peter and John, and their first response was prayer. And so so church, our response can be it can be prayer or poor me, right? <laughs> Our response uh, to adversity, it can be prayer or poor me. Check this out. Verse 23, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And I'm going to stop right there. This is when they were released. Keep in mind, church family, keep in mind why these guys were locked up. It wasn't, it wasn't because of some sort of like violent insurrection or, or crazy public defiance of Rome, right? It, it, they, they, they hadn't stolen anything. They hadn't assaulted anyone. Uh, they hadn't cheated anyone. Their, their, what was their heinous crime? Their heinous crime was healing a dude who had been born lame and then publicly professing that Jesus was the hope of the world. 
Like that, that, was, that was their crime. And in response, the Jewish religious authorities had unfairly taken them into custody. They, they questioned them. They, they, they sought to intimidate them. They threatened them to no longer speak the name of Jesus. And ultimately, the only reason they let these guys go, check this out, the only reason they let them go was due to peer pressure. Because in verse 21, it says that the, the crowd was literally praising God. Right? Like they're, they've got them locked up. They're trying to intimidate them. You know, they're, they're, they're trying to figure out what they're going to do with these guys. And the crowd outside's like, hallelujah! You know? So, how, how, you know, they really didn't have a lot of options at that point. And immediately on the heels of this injustice, Peter and John, they're reunited with, the text says, their friends. That, that may seem like a little thing to you. I, I love that it use, uses the word, their, the, the, this, this phrase, their friends. One, because that's what gospel fam is. Amen. Um, and two, I, I tend to look at Peter and John sometimes. Like, we're going to see in Acts 5, like, a couple of people drop dead at Peter's feet. Like, I tend to think of Peter and, uh, and John as, like, untouchables, right? Like, they were just on a higher plane. Like, everybody maybe was, like, scared of them uh, because of who they were and the power that was exuding from them. Um, no, it says they went back to their friends and they gave a report. But church, barely a sentence is, is dedicated to this report before they are propelled into this time of prayer. Barely, you, like there, there's really no detail about the report, but it goes right into this prayer. Church fam, let this sink in. Their first response to persecution was to lift up their voice in prayer together. Man. And, and, and apparently... Peter had his ACTS acronym prayer chart, right? Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. He had that stashed away uh, in his wallet because they started with adoration, right? They're that's a joke. They're praising God, right? They're praising God for who He is. And they end in supplication by, by petitioning God, asking God, man, just give us boldness in our, in our witness. But they... They pray. They started with prayer. Steph and I, we were we were cruising on vacation, and and we were listening with with the boys to the story of Steve Saint, and Steve Saint was was a missionary who was brutally brutally killed by the Akua Indians in 1956, and and what but what's crazy is that right after these, these, these Indians in Ecuador murdered this man and four of his friends, his, his wife, Marjorie, she, she would continue to gather their family together and in their family devotions, they would pray. They would pray to God and they would pray for the, the Akua Indians. And they didn't retaliate. They didn't make it about them. And sometime later, God would use Rachel Saint, Nick's sister, uh, along with Elizabeth Elliot and others to go back into the Akua Indians and ultimately share the good news of Jesus Christ. And one of the craziest things as we were listening to this story is... Uh, 
uh, Steve Saint, Nick's son, ended up years later, 50 years later, this dude is touring around the U.S. with one of the warriors who killed his father sharing the good news and the grace of God in Jesus Christ. Man, started, started with prayer. A couple of observations is, is, is you, as you look around the culture, and I mean like even the Christian, even the Christian culture, what is all too often our first response to persecution? What's our, what's our first response to adversity? Rather than prayer, it's take to social media, right? Man, I got to get up on Insta about this, right? I got to get on Facebook. I, like we gotta, we've got to air it out. We've got to air out our frustrations and anger. We, hey, look at the wrong that's been perpetrated against me. Poor me. Look at me. Listen, I, I'm, not, I'm not downplaying that we live in a, a fallen, broken world where, where real injustice takes place and where real adversity exists. Like, don't, don't get that twisted. What I am calling us to this morning is just to examine the response of the apostles. Like, just, just check out how they responded. Christian. What is, your, what is your first response? What is your first response? Do you, do you lift up your voice to, to men or to God? It is, is the focus on your hurt or is the focus on God's glory and on the mission? Do you want to let that anger grow or do you want to grow in grace? 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Listen, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, church family, like I know where this perfect balance is in an American society built built on personal freedoms, but at some point, your willingness to suffer for the actual gospel has got to supersede your dogged determination to preserve your personal freedom. Just make sure that, listen, just make sure you're, you're suffering, um, not for your political opinions, not, not for your ideology, not for anything else, but for the sake of boldly proclaiming and living out that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. At some point, we, we've got we've to come to this understanding Church, that it's, it's, not about, it's not about us. It's not about me. It's not about you. It's about being counted worthy to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Make no mistake, the disciples, listen, their, their, their adversity stemmed from proclaiming Jesus. It stemmed from pro- proclaiming Christ. And when they, when they encountered opposition to the point of being locked up, their first response was prayer. Warren Wiersbe says this, prayer is, prayer is not an escape from responsibility. Uh, it is our response to God's ability. Wiersbe says, prayer is not us escaping responsibility. It is our response to God's ability. True prayer energizes us for service and for the spiritual battle. Amen? 
Second thing this morning is this. As we look at 24 through, through 28, uh, their second response was sovereignty, right? They recognize the sovereignty of God. So you can, you can respond, uh, you can respond uh, to sovereignty or, or you can say, it's, it's on me. And you can go ahead and put the next one up. There we go. You can, say, you can respond to God's sovereignty or you can say, you can say man, I, it's, it's, it's on me. It's all on me. Look at verse 24. It says this, They prayed and they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth, the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Spirit, Why do the Gentiles rage? The peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. And then verse 27 says this, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand, check this out, and your plan had predestined to take place. He said, Sovereign Lord. That, that, that Greek word sovereign, is, it, it means one who holds complete power. One who holds complete authority. It's master, ruler, Lord. The, the sad reality right now is that many professing American Christians are operating as sort of functional deists. Right. Like deism is this belief that there's a God, but he just kind of set things in motion and left it. And he's no longer present. We're operating as functional deists far from holding tightly to this position of sovereignty. We're throwing our hands up and lamenting like all the chaos of the world and all the chaos in our lives is somehow like suddenly not taking place under the watchful eye of a sovereign God. See, the, the apostles knew better. They, they did not see a disconnect between their adversity and the authority of God. Y'all with me on that? Like, they, they didn't, they, there was no disconnect between, yeah, I mean, what we're walking through is really hard, but just because they, they hit that adversity, they didn't say, man, I guess God's not on the throne anymore. And I guess God's not sovereign. You know, where is the authority of God? And it's interesting. They, they, they pray back to God, Psalm chapter, uh, this, this, this psalm from Psalm 2. And interestingly, uh, this psalm that says, why do the Gentiles rage? Why do they plot in vain? The, and, and they talk about the kings and these, these rulers of the earth that have set themselves together. They're rebelling against God and His anointed Messiah. And interestingly, so, so they come together, they're, they're praying, and R.C. Sproul says this, because this is, this is what's called a messianic psalm. It's a psalm that's pointing forward to Jesus. It's pointing ahead to the Christ. And R.C. Sproul says, in this psalm, you see this summit meeting of the most powerful rulers in the world who refuse to submit to the dominion and the reign of God. They, they assemble together in, in defiance, Sproul says, against the lordship of God Almighty and against his anointed son. And Tony Morita says this, God was telling his people beforehand, 
that the nations would conspire against the Messiah, yet he would be triumphant and ruler of all. And there's, there's a couple of things to consider as, as, as we look at verses 25 and 26. See, uh, in the events of the, uh, of the cross, the, the, the apostles saw a fulfillment, at least a partial fulfillment, of Psalm chapter 2. See, Herod and Pilate were equated with these rulers of the world. But it's interesting. It's not just the Gentiles who are raging. We see the Jews are grouped right in with the Gentiles in their rebellion against Jesus. But I think what's even more surprising is is not verse 27, uh, but rather the statement in verse 28. And it's sort of, check out verse 28, because 28 sort of jolts us back to this reality of God's absolute sovereignty, His absolute authority over the affairs of man, including the most heinous acts of man. Church, do y'all, do y'all hear me this morning? And Because there's, there's never been a greater injustice than what, what, what took place at the cross. That, that, that's that's kind of, that's, that's the pinnacle, Right? And yet verse 28 says to do whatever your hand it's talking about God and your plan had predestined to take place. See, in the Greek, that word predestined means to to come to a decision beforehand, to decide beforehand. You say, well, like, I, I don't I don't like predestination like I, I don't know if I do either okay <laughs> you say well I, I don't I don't understand it and I said well welcome welcome to the club um, but understand this this is the point I want to drive home understand that the the whatever of verse 28 uh, the, to do whatever your hand and your plan that if that whatever covers the cross then there is no nook or or cranny of man's sinful actions that takes place outside of his sovereignty. Now, did the Father hammer the nails through through Jesus' hands? No. Did did the Father like cram the 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 crown of thorns on on the son's head? Did he beat him and mock him? No, but ultimately God orchestrated and used it all to accomplish his will and his plan. It's like this. (laughs) Did did Pharaoh harden his heart against God? Yes. (laughs) Did God harden Pharaoh's heart? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) You're like, that's not helpful. Ultimately, the will of Pharaoh was bent on sinful rebellion against God. That's what his heart wanted. So God is not unjust. Hear me. God is not unjust in allowing human hearts to pursue and to perpetrate exactly what they want to do. Doesn't make God unjust. But sinful human hearts and actions can never override his sovereign will. Of course, there's mystery here, but but there was also there there was there's there's also a measure of comfort for the apostles, and we sense it in their response. See, because here here's the deal, and and, and I'm going to get to some applications, so hold tight. Uh, 
The, the, the God who was sovereign over the persecution of Jesus was the one who was working in the midst of their own persecution for his glory and for their good. Amen? See, Martin Lloyd-Jones says, if, if, if God was the author of the cross, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, the cross, an accident? The, the cross, a surprise? The cross, something that, that might not have happened and that need not have happened? The cross, merely just something that God uses? No, Dr. Jones says, the cross was planned, foreordained, before the, lo- the world was ever created, before man was ever made. God had planned the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. Our, our Son, our son Ben, see, let let that uh, let that wash over us. Let 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 that let that truth of God's authority and sovereignty over all things wash over your fear and your anxiety right now. Our 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 uh, he's not in here this morning. He's back in the back. But our youngest son Ben, a while back, was struggling with just these nightmares and bad dreams. Um, cool story for another time. But we really felt like the Lord kind of showed up and and really gave Ben a word and spoke to him. Um, I, like I, I know I got those Baptist roots, and that you know that may sound too charismaticy for some of you guys, but we I don't care. We found we like the Lord really showed up and and and, and moved in Ben's life. Life, but one of the things that came out of that is we we started uh, playing this Ross King song for Ben every night before he would go to bed called The Things That I'm Afraid Of. And it just says, because uh, I, I, I walked through the valley of shadows and it scared me half to death. But you're with me everywhere I go, so I don't give up yet. My fear would surely kill me if I didn't know the truth. The things that I'm afraid of are afraid of you. And then the refrain, the bridge says this. You prepare a table for me right in front of my worst enemies. You're as calm and relaxed as can be, and there's no place. There's no place where the demons won't find me, but just wait till they see who's standing beside me. And so behind me Uh, in in church here, here's here's what I want to say. It's it is a it is a game changer. It is a game changer when you know that you have a sovereign, good God who has gone before you and who stands behind you. Amen? Like, it, it's, it's a game changer. And here's the application, right? Because we've got to, listen, we, we have got to learn how to connect um, this, God's Word, with our lives, especially right now. But God, God, God is sovereign over COVID. Amen? And that's not like, just like we don't downplay the, the, the heinousness of the cross. Like, I'm not, I'm not like being flippant. I'm not downplaying. I, I know you still got people who are like, man, this virus is not real. Please, take off the tinfoil hat, okay? <laughs> um, but God is sovereign over it. God is, He is sovereign over injustice. God is, God is sovereign over politics and, and over government leaders. He is sovereign over relationships. I know, like, I know this is crazy. He's, he's sovereign over Facebook. I know. It's true, right? <laughs> he's sovereign over your depression. 
He's sovereign over your addiction. He's sovereign over your loneliness and hurt. He sees. He cares. He knows. And He's made the ultimate provision for you through the cross of Jesus. Amen? And here's the good news. If God's sovereign over it, um, you're not. Can I get an amen on that? <laughs> amen. <laughs> if he's sovereign over it, you're not. Like you, you listen, it's it's not, it's not on you. Like take take a breath. God's already done the heavy lifting. Yes, be faithful. Like I, it doesn't absolve us of human responsibility. Be faithful, be obedient to his word, but let's rest in his authority. And listen, at some point church, like we need to start sweating like gospel stuff and quit sweating all this noise and all this other junk that we can't control anyway. Amen. Sovereignty. Their response was to sovereignty. And then third and finally, we see this response of boldness. Rather, rather than going into preservation mode, like self-preservation mode, like, um, uh, oh gosh, I, I, need to, I need to preserve me. No. No, as they prayed, as they responded to the authority of God, it produced boldness. We see this in verses 29 through 31. It says, and now... They're praying, Lord, look upon the threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they had gathered together was shaken. They were filled with the spirit of God and they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. As we, as we close out our, our passage this morning, they, listen, the, the apostles, they didn't, they didn't downplay things, right? They, they understood that the threats were real. They were just far more concerned with God's judgment than they were with the judgment of man, with the judgment of these, these religious authorities and leaders of the Jews. And what did they, again, what did they pray for? Man, they prayed for boldness. To speak the gospel. And we're gonna, we see in verse 31, that's exactly what God gave them. The, the Spirit fell. Uh, some, some people are like, oh man, see, that's the second blessing, right? Man, listen, that wasn't the second blessing. Listen, that, 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 was, that was God falling on them to equip them for the mission that was to come. Man, they, and all of these gods would lay down their lives. So trust me when I say they needed a special anointing for the mission. But see, here's the application. God, gospel boldness is not much of a virtue right now in American Christian culture. We're, we're, we're all walking around on eggshells, like comparing, like relative hurt uh, and, and uh, relative uh, frustration but the gospel is offensive because it calls all people, all people to personal repentance and faith in Jesus. See, Christian, now is not the time to try to preserve your reputation. Now is not the time to preserve your health, to preserve your comfort. Now, now is the time for gospel boldness. 
And hear me, not, not to declare your personal opinions, because like everybody's doing that, okay? Everybody's about that. Not to declare your personal opinions on secondary issues. Um, now is the time to, to boldly declare that, that Jesus was, He still is, and He always will be the solution to the brokenness of our world. Jesus heals hearts. But it doesn't just stop there. Jesus heals homes. Jesus heals churches and he heals communities and he heals nations. Amen. And so what is our what is our response right now? I want to bring it back full circle. What is our response? Are you are you praying for boldness? Are you hiding right now? You praying for boldness? Are you are you hiding? See, when a when a Christ follower is, is completely convinced of the sovereignty of God, of God's love for them, and when they're completely convinced of the resurrection of Jesus and his victory over sin and death, man, the, the forces of hell can't prevent us from sharing Jesus. I'll close with this this morning. There's, a, there's an old hymn. Um, it's called Grace Greater Than Our Sin. Uh, by by this this writer years ago, uh, 100, 150 years ago, Julia Johnston wrote this, um, 100 to 150 years. And, and the first verse just says this, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our, our, our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpour, there where the blood of the lamb was spilled. And the refrain just says, grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. In verse 4 of, of that song says, marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see his face, will you this moment his grace receive? Man, oh, how we need the reminder of that infinite, marvelous, matchless grace. Amen. Freely bestowed on all who believe. Church, listen. Hurt people hurt, but forgiven people forgive. Amen. We cannot be reconciled to one another until we understand that all of us must first be reconciled to God through Jesus. Like our, our sin separates us from a holy and righteous God. We are in desperate need of forgiveness. Um, all of us and we've all sinned, and that sin is first and foremost against God before it's against anybody else. But God, in his infinite wisdom, has made a provision for you and for me, for all of us through the cross of Christ. So this morning, I mean, if you're longing to see the face of God, step one is to receive his grace through Jesus. And Christian, listen. No one is immune from the adversity 
of this broken world. But does your response right now bear witness of a person who has received the marvelous, infinite, matchless grace of Jesus? If so, that grace received is going to become a grace reflected. Church, our, our, our response right now is it's crucial. Let's be about prayer. Let's be about sovereignty. Let, let's be about boldness. But most importantly, man, let's be about Jesus. Amen? Y'all pray with me this morning.